Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. How about that? A Wednesday episode? You guys are spoiled. Brian Nichols here, Brian Nichols Show, thank you for joining us again on another fun-filled episode, and yeah, you guys got to hear from Dr. Kyle Varner on Wednesday, uh, and that was a fantastic episode, so if you have not gotten a chance yet to listen to that special Wednesday episode, make sure you head over to your podcast catcher and download it, but you are here today uh, to hear my guest, and that is Angela McArdle. Now, Angela is going to be joining us to discuss, uh, number one, obviously, her being a very prominent out in California as a she is the chair of the Libertarian County uh, Libertarian Party, uh, but did I say Libertarian County, Los Angeles County. My goodness, you can tell it is uh, Thursday night uh, as I'm recording late here because it's uh, my brain's fried. You're welcome. This is, this is the Brian you get today. Uh, but no, Angela joins the show uh, today to discuss not only her, her libertarian happenings out in California, but also some work she's doing in a, a protest, as you hear me flipping my papers, a protest she's doing on May 1st uh, to reopen uh, Los Angeles County. So I uh, get to talk about that. Um, but also, we do discuss the inevitable, it seems, hint, hint, wink, wink, as of we're airing today, a possible showdown for the libertarian presidential nomination, that race coming down to Jacob Hornberger and... Justin Amash? Question mark? Yeah, there may be some rumors out there, folks, and uh, definitely I would uh, keep your ear uh, close to the, 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 the what, the rail, the floor, whatever people listen to to hear things coming, because I think uh, you might hear today, if you're listening on Friday, um, Justin Amash might have a announcement, so I've heard. I don't know. We'll see. I could be full of, uh, you know, that stuff. Uh, well, I don't know yet, but that's uh, that's what the, uh, the scuttlebutt is, as uh, Michael Scott would say. So anyways, I've talked enough. On to the show, Angela Cardle here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us from sunny California as, uh, you know, I'm healing from Philadelphia. And unfortunately, I have an entire week full of uh, of cloudy uh, cloudiness. And I was told when I moved to Philadelphia, it was always uh, sunny here in Philadelphia. But it seems that you have the sunshine stolen over there in in, uh, in the West Coast. So let's kind of start off here, Angela. I think it's a great chance for you to introduce yourself to my audience. And I'm sure you know, folks have heard you across libertarian podcasts galore. I mean, I think I most recently heard you on Tom Woods. Uh, so probably don't need too much of an introduction, but I say, heck, I think there are people out there who probably don't know your name yet, so let's make sure they get to know who you are. So let's kind of tell your libertarian story, uh, kind of what was your path to the libertarian movement, and uh, really what led to you getting more involved in uh, libertarian politics, specifically uh, where you are reside over in the West Coast in L.A. County? Sure. Well, I, you know, I grew up in sort of a traditional conservative home in the South and moved to the suburbs of L.A. as a teenager with my family. And I became just more interested in libertarian thought after I, quite frankly, just had a sort of, you know, run-of-the-mill conversation with an older guy who was a libertarian. And we talked about the drug war and gay rights and things like that and some other places where I sort of diverged from traditional conservative thought in a in a sort of a hands-off, your personal life sort of way. Mm-hmm. And what really got me down the rabbit hole of libertarian was actually reading the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and getting really red-pilled on the Federal Reserve issue. 
So that was my entrance into libertarian activism and seeing sort of my regular worldview implode on itself and things aren't what I, what they seem to appear. Mm-hmm. And from there, I got more interested in anarchism and black markets and being active outside of the state, especially when it comes to homelessness and low income people and just trying to survive and make it, you know, being being really dragged down with regulatory issues and taxes and burdens. And I started to get really active in the party, not actually until 2016, maybe 2015. In 2013, I was active in organizing a protest against Los Angeles County's proposed ban on food sharing and public rights of way, which in more simpler terms is a ban on feeding homeless people in the public. <laughs> which is wild. Right. And so from that point, you know, I was really committed to anarchism and activism outside of the party and outside of politics because we had about 800 people at this protest and we shut the ordinance down. It was tabled. They haven't brought it up since. So I felt truly empowered that I can make a difference without really being active in politics, just sort of screaming from the sidelines. But in 2017, the California Libertarian Party state chair at the time, whose name is Ted Brown, asked me to run for Congress in a special election. And I attended a lot of libertarian meetups and did libertarian stuff. I was just sort of, you know, not totally committed, I guess, to the actual party, if you could put it that way. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he just kept on and kept on. And finally, I said, okay, I'll do it. And at that point, I was just totally, you know, bought and sold on on the libertarian party and really convinced of the messaging that third party platform is essential critical to spreading the message of freedom to people who otherwise wouldn't hear about us. So that uh, sums up how I really got involved to begin with. So it's, I always ask that story because I do definitely see that there, there are definitely folks who come from the right. Um, but I'd say that there's, there's folks on the left who do come to the Libertarian Party as well. And I do hear voices from, from those within the party who say, you know, why are we wasting our time trying to bring those people into the movement? And we're focusing more, you know, we're focusing too much on issues that don't matter. And, and I, I, I definitely cringe a little bit when I hear that because I think we have a, a really good opportunity to bring in a lot of interesting people and, and a lot of people who are looking for real, you know, real life substantive answers to the, the very real questions that they, they find themselves asking. And, you know, I'm sad because I think of people on the left that we, we, you know, tend to write off, they have a lot of great perspectives on life and they, they have a lot of great optimism on what they think that government can do. And I think we have a role to be more of educators than we are to, you know, be, be tossing the tomatoes and, and, you know, pointing and laughing. I think we, we have a chance to say, listen, you know, we too have these great, you know, you know, lofty goals. And we understand you think that using government to to do that is a, is a, you know, a noble means, but in, in reality, we have a much more efficient manner that, that uses no force whatsoever. It's, it's completely through voluntary action. You know, check out this, this solution that we, we present. And, and now I think right now, especially Angela, I'd love to hear your perspective on this is we have a phenomenal opportunity as libertarians to be teachers, to teach people the values of liberty when we're seeing firsthand what happens when you have an overreaching government literally has its hands in everything from, I mean, we're seeing right now in, in the healthcare sector, in the food industry, in the oil, in, uh, in the gas, energy, energy sectors. I mean, we're seeing it all across the board. So what would be your libertarian message right now? You know, because you are obviously are more prominent in the LA County and I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the, on the left out there who would be maybe looking for a different message right now. What would be the argument to, to show people 
how dangerous uh, you know this this government overreaching it really is, and to look at libertarians as a true alternative to uh, what's been presented out there as the uh, the mainstream duopoly being the left and the right paradigm. Oh, definitely. I mean, right now, as we're all experiencing just so much incredible economic stress due to all of the quarantine and stay-at-home orders and business closures, the libertarian solution right now is to to let people be in charge of their own lives and be responsible for themselves. What I am trying to communicate to my friends on the left, who, and I know they mean well, and sometimes I feel that we're talking past each other, is to remember that even though many of them support the lockdown, stay-at-home orders, some of them even support things as strict as martial law or curfews, to remember that there are millions of people in this country right now who do not feel safe because they've lost their jobs or small businesses and they're facing financial ruin. The suicide hotline has seen over an 800 inc- 800% increase in calls. Women in domestic violence relationships are forced to stay at home and they're at much greater risk. And the phrase stay home, stay safe doesn't fit every situation. Mm-hmm. The libertarian response, it doesn't have to be exactly the same across the board, but what it should be is it should be about personal empowerment and personal responsibility and accountability. Not every situation is going to fit into, you know, like a perfect little cookie cutter of central planning. And we need to just empower people to take back their financial safety and their personal freedom. I've been hearing a lot of libertarians who have been grappling with what should be the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, especially as it pertains to its outbreak here in in America. And I mean, I've had on my show, um, you know, Dr. Kyle Varner, um, who's, you know, experiencing the battle firsthand in in, the hospitals. I've had um, Dr. Dan Dan Mitchell, economist from Georgetown on the show, uh, taking a more economic approach to, uh, you know, the free market solutions and really how it was government regulations that got in the way. And I'm hearing a lot of, of things being presented as a libertarian solution. Do you think right now that the left is is open to a libertarian solution? Or do you think that they've been so led by what has been the, 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 me- the media narrative? And, and I say the media narrative because really the, the corporate press has has made it a, a focus to create, you know, a perspective as to what is the, the, the truth. And when you look at all the data that's presented across the, the table, or on, on the table rather, you you can kind of start to put more context into, you know, various demographics being more impacted and demographics who aren't really being touched as much, namely the, the younger folk. And I think we're starting to see more and more people starting to question, you know, why is it that we, we have to, to stay home for, you know, a, an indefinite amount of time? So, I mean... Do you think that there's hope to, to win those people's voices or win those people's over with our, our arguments and our voices? Or are, are we maybe fighting an uphill battle because we've been so, you know, we've been so held back by the traditional education structures in place and then traditionally the, uh, the mainstream corporate press? I think before we start preaching to people on the left or even people on the right about why we must open up or rather before we start preaching about why we have to open up the lockdown now, we need to start talking about the people who are being damaged by it. So instead of just straight preaching, we got to do this, we got to do that, we need to talk about the other side of the coin and remind people on the left who say that they really care about people, that there are people who are being very, very harmed by everything that's going on right now. And then people on the left are more likely to, to be open and have a conversation about releasing lockdowns and changing policies and 
being open to less government uh, encroachment on our personal lives, I guess. And you said the the line, and it, it, it struck me, staying home, staying safe isn't a choice for everybody. And I, I think that's one externality that has really not been thought about too much because we've been we've been told, you know, you're staying home, you're, you're saving lives, which I, I argue would be true across the board when you look at, you know, the, the impact of the actual coronavirus deaths, the COVID-19 deaths. But then you look at, again, the, the things you mentioned, the things that aren't really being thought about, the, the, the suicide rates, the domestic abuse, uh, the domestic abuse um, responses that you have people who are going to, you know, name drug that they're dependent on here because they, they feel they're at a wit's end. I mean, there are so many things that, that people are now dealing with, um, you know, when they're stuck at home and, and then there's the economic side of it. And I mean, that's why I had Dan Mitchell on the show to, to kind of talk about, yeah, there might be a temporary trade-off between you know, these health outcomes and the economic outcomes for the short term. But then you start looking at long-term impl- implications of, of literally shutting down an economy. I mean, you're, you're basically having a situation where government has hit a gigantic pause button on the economy and and now people are, are basically being told you're not allowed to work and it's just it's a very weird time and I, I'm glad that I have you on the show because you're doing something over in LA County that I think it, we're going to see happen more and more across the nation as people start to get more and more frustrated with the response that has been done by the, their local governments and you're looking at trying to open up uh, LA County uh, with a, a protest taking place on May 1st so let's kind of discuss that what led you to uh, to start leading the charge there, Angela, um, to lead this charge for the protest over in LA County to open up the uh, the county and the surrounding uh, cities? Well, let me tell you, I've actually had a lot of people reach out to me asking for help. I have had transgender and gay people tell me that they've had to move back home with unsympathetic parents. They're in a bad situation. It's causing depression and anxiety because now they're, they, it's not just about $1,200 and being able to afford rent. It's about, can you afford your utilities, your car payment, your car insurance, your health insurance, your credit card bill, your student loan debt. There are so many things. There are so many externalities and bills that people have to pay. Uh, here's one. I've got, I had a small business owner reach out to me a couple of nights ago in desperation say he's going to lose $100,000 because his product isn't moving off the shelves. He owns Jeez. a vape shop. It doesn't qualify as a grocery store. It's a gray area. Some of them have been shut down. Some have not. But people aren't coming to his store. And he's not sophisticated enough to be set up for Instacart and things like that. And trust me, I'm trying to help him. But people are in crisis. These are the sort of reasons that I'm that I'm protesting. Let me paint a, a more dire picture. Undocumented people living in California who make up a tremendous amount of our economy. They sell produce, flowers, uh, corn on the side of the streets. They don't get a $1,200 stimulus check. They also don't qualify for unemployment. And many of them live, they work hard too, but they've all been sent home from their jobs. And a lot of them are low paying jobs. They're crammed into apartments, you know, six to eight people in a two bedroom apartment. And they send money home to their children and grandparents in Mexico. So the poverty waterfall that you're placing on these people with an economic lockdown is devastating. They can't feed themselves. They can't feed their children. And now they can't send money home to feed their extended family in Mexico. It's that those situations, that's why I'm protesting. It's not about just getting out and screaming about my constitutional rights. For many people, the choice to work is a life or death situation. It's so frustrating when I see people, especially online, because I mean, Twitter, Facebook, it's just, it's a cesspool for literally no information really being shared unless, I mean, there, there are exceptions to the rule, obviously, but I mean, pretty much mainstream social media is just nonsensical back and forth between the left and the right. And 
I get I get very frustrated because I think you know we have an ample opportunity right now to to reach people um, beyond what they're they're hearing every single day. And you know what we're doing right now, it's because you have the ability to have innovation in the marketplace, and yet you have people in Washington who seemingly think that they can you know they can you know play basically play the Sims in real life, but with, with people. And, and it's, it's like, this, this, it doesn't work that way. You can't just, you know, think that you can control an economy from the top down because there are so many different little entangling um, economic, you know, structures that are already in place that all it takes is just one of those little structures to be broken to, to make the entire house of cards fall, to fall apart. And we're already seeing that. I mean, right now we, you know, as we're recording today, oil went for, for was negative like $37 a barrel, which I mean, that's insane to think we're actually at a point now that, energy companies are selling their their product to people but they're actually paying people because they don't have enough space to store their supply because there's been such a decrease in demand because nobody's able to drive anywhere because we've been told by our governments to shut down and and again it's it's the long-term negative impacts that we're going to see too i mean i just read a a study from i think it was reuters and it was showing how many i think it was 30 million some odd kids across third uh, third world you know third nation poverty stricken countries they're expected to to face you know starvation uh you know levels this year because of covid-19 and it's just like you know that that's entirely due to what governments have done in response to this instead of allowing the ingenuity of the marketplace and the ingenuity of of not just Americans but you know people across the world to to answer to the the, the call and saying hey we we have the ability to make these these new solutions based on what's happening and we're already seeing that right now i mean Heck, you know, there there's a, a desire to play professional sports by the fall. And they're looking at possibly doing testing to, to you know, have people go to, uh, to to sporting events. And like that's that's because we now are we, I mean, America, we have a system that at the very least has some sort of you know freedom in place that makes that possible. And I mean, I. I go on a rant there, but you know, I think we, we now politically we have a good chance, and I think it requires us putting the right person forward, and that requires us, you know, picking the right person to be our our you know, standard bearer in 2020 as the presidential nominee. So, with that being said, how about that for a transition, Angela? You've been working a lot behind the scenes with uh, Jacob Hornberger. Um, so let's kind of talk about Jacob now. Jacob obviously has been on the show. Um, I'm a big fan of Jacob, and and you know, right now. I have not endorsed any particular candidate, but I will say I'm a big fan of Jacob. I think he is very articulate. He knows what he's talking about. He knows how to you know, talk about to people who are not libertarians. What was it that brought you to Jacob Horn- uh, Hornberger's campaign and ultimately won your support? Absolutely. Well, you know, I've gotten to know quite a few of the presidential candidates in the LP. We're a small party and we're pretty close knit. And so I've met Vermin Supreme in, in person several times. I'd met Jacob Hornberger in person. I've met I met Lincoln Chafee. I met um, Mark Whitney, who he was a latecomer, but I met him. I, I've met so many of these people, but I feel that Jacob Hornberger is really principled and he's outspoken about it. He's uncompromising, but he's not cringy. You don't hear Jacob Hornberger talk about open borders or gun control or the drug war and think, oh, embarrassing. He's just open and he's honest. He's unapologetic and he's professional about it. And I think that he's got a long track record of representing liberty in that particular style, too. And that's really what's drawn me to him. And and he also, I got to tell you, at the California convention, we had an excellent presidential candidate forum. And I thought he just knocked it out of the park. And I was already a supporter before that. But I felt especially committed after hearing him talk 
And just in a side-by-side comparison of the other candidates, I feel that he really carries the Liberty Torch in the best way for, for our positions. So right now, as we're recording, and obviously people looking back at this will, will already know the answer, but Justin Amash, who's been on my show, and you know, I asked him back in, uh, I think it was June or July of last year, whether he was going to run for president of the United States in 2020, he asked me, well, would you support me? And, and he didn't really answer the question. And now it seems that he's actually seriously considering the idea of running for, uh, for president. And it seems that he's toying with the idea as uh, you know, running as a libertarian. So, Angela, what would be your um, your take as a Justin Amash running for president of the United States as a libertarian? Question mark. Well, you know, as of a year ago, I definitely would have supported that, and I love the work that Justin Amash does. I think he is one of the few torchbearers for liberty that we have right now in the House of Representatives, in the House and the Senate, you know, combined. Uh, but unfortunately, I believe he's entering the race a little bit late. And I'm disappointed that he, as far as I know, as far as I know, he has turned down invitations to attend his state's Libertarian Party convention, tours, things of that nature. I understand that he, previous to declaring himself independent, was a Republican, and he has to tow party lines in in certain respects. I get it. I know that politics are dirty. But I wish that he had been a little bit friendlier to the LP before all of this stuff had happened with him running independent and turning off his constituency. So my concern with Justin Amash's run is, I wonder, are you doing this just because you know you're not going to get reelected because of the choices you made? And if that's the case, I would appreciate it if you would run for something else, run, rerun your for your same position as a libertarian or, or run for VP or something. Please don't come in and try to feel, steal the thunder of people who are committed to the party and are dedicated and have been working really hard. Now, it's a tough oh, call sorry. for me, but that's my personal opinion. I was going to say, well, now I can I play devil's advocate? Because this this is the part where I, I hear both sides of the argument. And, th- and this is why, personally, I'm torn. Because then you have the other side of the argument of people saying, well, listen, the LP got um, ballot access in all 50 states last year, or last election cycle, rather, I- explicitly because we had two two-term governors in Gary Johnson and Bill Weld at the top of the ticket who, at the very least, you know, libertarian, you know, credentials, yeah, and definitely in question, but at the very least, they had some some aura of credibility around them, be- being, you know, former governors of, of traditionally blue states in New Mexico and Massachusetts, respectively. And then they look to somebody like a Justin Amash, and they say, well, I get it, because he has that credibility of being, number one, a, a U.S. congressman, but number two, a pretty you know noted figure. It's actually funny, back when I had him on my show, it was right when he, quote-unquote, declared his independence from, um, declares independence from the GOP, and he was really the first uh, Republican senator who started to question, you know, should we consider impeaching Trump? Now, without going down that whole rabbit hole, because that's obviously a whole separate conversation about, you know, Trump impeachment and stuff, but that ended up being, you know, one of the main things that he kind of made as his national prominence. So I would say he'd maybe bring a sense of, hey, here's a credible alternative to Donald Trump, who is the status quo, uh, versus old status quo, quite literally and figuratively, and Joe Biden, um, who definitely appears to have some type of, you know, whether it's mental decline or something, something's not, the elevator's not going to the top, top floor, that's for certain. And I think right now the LP has a great chance to be that alternative. And I'm a little nervous because I, I say, will voters be turned off by someone who is as radical and as, and as much as I love the radicalness of someone like a Jacob Hornberger, 
Or would they at least look at the Libertarian Party and continue to allow us to have the chance to have ballot access by voting for somebody like a Justin Amash, who I don't want to say is a safer pick, but maybe is a more comfortable pick? Does that make sense? Well, I think maybe the way I'm interpreting what you're saying is he's more well-known and he's got notoriety. And so that yes. will always help with ballot access. Well, well-known well well known as well as the, the, the being credible as having actually done something in terms of governance, right? So him being in Congress, some people will look and say, well, look at his resume. He's got something on the resume in terms of elected office where they'll look at Jacob and, you know, look at all the work he's done in, you know, nonprofits and in, in think tanks. And that won't hold as much as much weight. Does that, you get what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think it cuts both ways because I think that as great as it is that Justin Amash is obviously, you know, a credible and has le- legitimate governance experience. Some people have also found his impeachment position very polarizing and a turnoff. So I think it could go either way. Regardless, if he were to get the nomination, I would support him. I'm supporting Jacob Hornberger first, volunteering on his campaign. But if Justin Amash comes in and wins the nomination, regardless, I'm still going to support him because I do think he is a principled person for liberty. Now, what about Judge Jim Gray? Now, Judge Jim Gray, he just um, he just tossed his hat in the ring, and he was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Angela, I think it was 2012, he was the uh, the vice presidential nominee for the Libertarian Party with uh, Governor Gary Johnson, and uh, he's actually now running with uh, a double ticket. It's him and uh, Larry Sharp, who's also a good friend of the show, running as his VP. What's your thoughts on uh, Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp entering the race? I absolutely adore Larry Sharp. I think he is a wonderful representative for Liberty. He's a personal friend of mine. And uh, as of right now, he's going to have my vote for VP. Amen. I am not <laughs> in favor. I'm not in favor of Judge Gray's uh, presidential candidacy. It's absolutely nothing personal against him, but he is too moderate or centrist of a candidate. I'm not even sure if pragmatic is the right word because pragmatic really, I had this good conversation with Karen Ann Harless recently about pragmatism. Pragmatism discusses sort of the tactics that you make, but it's not necessarily about what you believe. And although I have a lot of respect for Judge Gray, he's said a lot of things that are a little too pro-law enforcement and too pro-government for me. Mm -hmm. And that has been a turnoff to me. I know that we need to appeal to the average person, but I don't want to be out there with a candidate who is singing the praises of the police when we have had such an egregious problem with police brutality and police militarization. Yeah. I just can't support that. Although I, you know, I'm I'm happy that he was a judge and he's probably done a lot of great work for the liberty movement in general. Well, and that's a, that's the fine line, right? Like there's there's a difference between being a Republican or just a member of of elected office and being a libertarian, but you're using the libertarian or you, I'm sorry, you're using the Republican party to get elected. Like there's that, like the Ron Paul approach, Amash approach, Massey approach. Rand Paul approached Mike Lee, all of them. I get it. I, I understand it. But then there's the, you know, at the very least when you run as a libertarian, you, you want to at least have some libertarian principles. So like, I, I wouldn't want, again, like a Wayne Allen root kind of situation. Like you want an actual libertarian at the front of the ticket. And I mean, I candidly, I had Lincoln Chafee on my show. It's actually kind of sad. It was the day before he um, ended up dropping out of the race. Um, but you know, I, I think he's a likable man. I think he is, is a very well-spoken person. I think, you know, he would be a, and, and I say this tepidly, he would be a good face for the Libertarian Party, but he wouldn't be a good Libertarian as the face of the Libertarian Party. And like, 
I think there's room for people like a Lincoln Chafee to grow. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm a little more... I'm a little more okay with Justin entering the race as a libertarian because, I mean, Justin Justin is a libertarian. He's read the books. I mean, he, he talks about Hayek every time he, he gets a chance to go on a, a, a podcast. Like, he, he knows the, the libertarian ideology, and, and he, he actually believes it. Whereas somebody like a Gary Johnson or a Lincoln Chafee or Bill Weld, you know, when you ask them, what does it mean to be a libertarian, you're going to get three different answers. You ask Justin Amato what it means to be a libertarian, you're going to get the libertarian answer. I, I, I At least... If Justin was the face of the Libertarian Party, I would feel much more comfortable because I would know, yeah, he was a Republican, but he he is a legitimate Libertarian. Sure, is he an anarchist? No, but you know, if that's going to be our standard, then we're not the Libertarian Party, we're the Anarchist Party. But we have to, right. you know, at least look at somebody like you know a Justin Amash. I would say, and and give him a, a feeling of like, hey, listen. Even if, if you're not on board with him being the, the candidate because he's not in the party right now, I get that argument. But if he is a candidate, like you mentioned, you know, give him your support. He is a libertarian. And I, 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 I cringe at people who are like, I'm never going to support somebody like Justin Amash. Like, why? He's he's a libertarian. Like, And if he was the face of the libertarian party, he would actually have a legitimate chance, I would say, to be a real third alternative, much like somebody like a Hornberger would. Um, But I, I, I am starting to lean a little bit, I think, towards the idea that maybe Amash would maybe bring some more people over to our side who are libertarian curious but aren't ready to jump on board with the radical message if if that if that uh if that makes sense i think it's very possible for me also as the chair of the libertarian party of los angeles county a member of the california libertarian party executive committee and the state coordinator for the mises caucus <laughs> i have to be very careful i could go yep. on and on right yep. i have to balance what I think is best for the party and what is best for the party's membership and, and, and quite frankly, you know, like what the people in the party want versus spreading the message of Liberty. It is not always an easy choice. Mm -hmm. And there are so many arguments that can be made in, in either direction that it puts me sometimes in a challenging position. You know, do I want to support this candidate over that candidate? How and why the pros and cons of each one? I don't think it's a really easy choice. I think, you know, there's a right. lot of different yeah. ways to look at it. Well, I mean, I'm a card carrying libertarian. I mean, I'm sitting right here looking at my card right now. And, you know, I, I will easily be one of the most vocal critics of the LP because, I mean, honestly, I think now I have more of a responsibility to do so because now I am a card carrying member and I have been probably for almost a year now. Um, and if folks want to become a member of the Libertarian Party, too, to go to lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols show, just a heads up. Um, but um, with that being said, I think I actually have a responsibility to to kind of hold the party more responsible um, than I was beforehand because now it's it's my name associated with the party and I think that we need to have you know people at the top of the party who are going to be um, you know representing the, the values of that I'm not going to dig into the chair race too much because you know with the, the current chair stepping down I think a lot of the uh, the vitriol that was directed towards this this race has has really taken a different approach uh, I think now we're more focused on the LP presidential um, race as I think it should be um, so I guess Angela with that being said I wanted to ask you some party politics kind of where where's your head? You obviously leading the the chair um the chair role over in LP or is the LP uh, chair over in LA County. Um, but you know just in general your experience in the party right now and you're kind of getting the um you know you're, you're getting the buzz in around the, the libertarian across the nation. Where do you think we're heading as we go towards 2020's election and moving forward? Do you think we as libertarians have some some you know, hopeful prospects going to 2021, or are are things looking a little bleak for liberty with especially with the COVID virus and you know are are is is the idea of liberty not really you know able to be grasped right now uh, for libertarians? 
I have a lot of thoughts on this. There's so much to unpack. Hit me with it. Okay. <sighs> All right. Well, in Los Angeles County, let me start small and then go big. Los Angeles County, our executive committee is fired up over the lockdowns. We are passionate about spreading the message of liberty right now. We want to get out there and we see this as a great opportunity to show people that government coercion is not the way to solve your problems and that it does far more damage than it does good. I think the California State Party is warming up. We have been crafting a resolution against the lockdown orders. It hasn't been voted on yet. It hasn't technically been proposed, but I did spend an hour with some other members today crafting it. Ordinarily, I find resolutions to be a little bit toothless and sort of meaningless and maybe not worth our time. However, when we're in such a dire situation, no one else is speaking up. I think that the Libertarian Party has an obligation to speak out on our freedoms. And it is a great opportunity right now. And that is definitely not to say that people shouldn't use a mask or take a vaccine if they have an option to do so and they want to, or practice social distancing. That, that is no commentary on how serious the virus is or isn't. Right. It's just that we need to stand up for our constitutional and or our natural rights right now. Moving on to the National Party, and I had a great conversation with Karen and Harlos uh, just yesterday, the secretary for the National Party. We were discussing how there needs to be stronger leadership and a stronger position on some of our liberty issues right now regarding quarantine and lockdown, because it seems that almost no one is speaking out on this issue except for some fringe uh, Trump supporters. And that, that should not be what people look to when they think about liberty and freedom. It needs to be the Libertarian Party. So I think right now we're sort of at a crossroads. Are we going to do the right thing? Are we going to set a good example and show people that, no, we respect our freedoms, we're going to fight for them, and we think it's worthwhile? Or are we going to roll over because we don't want to come across as too extreme or cringy or like we're uncaring or anti-science? That word is so triggering to me right now. <laughs> I hope, I hope that we choose to respect and pursue our freedoms. And we'll see what happens. Amen. Well, that being said, Angela, where can folks go ahead and follow you if they want to stay up to date, uh, up to date rather, with the uh, the May first protest out in LA County, but also all that's happening over in uh, LA and uh, just up. What's going on with you in life? Uh, where can they follow you on uh, social media? You can find me on Facebook, Angela McArdle. I'm very easy to find. You can find me on Twitter at Angela for Congress. You can visit AngelaMcArdle.com if you want to see more information on the protests and also some stuff that's happening in California and some calls to action regarding our second amendment rights, stay at home orders and things like that, that are really impacting us. And, uh, if you want to join the California party, you can join through LA County at LPLAC.us. Awesome. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, looking forward to having you on the near future for sure. You are so welcome, and thank you so much for having me on. Alrighty, folks, so that's going to wrap up my conversation with Angela McArdle here on The Brian Nichols Show. If you enjoyed today's episode, you know the drill. Share with family and friends. Also, be sure to go ahead and tag me on social media, on Twitter, and on Facebook at B. Nichols Liberty. And if you guys want to go ahead and uh, send me an email, it's brian at briannicholsshow.com. I am always looking for uh, some new guests that you guys want to hear from. And oh my goodness, you guys gave me a ton of suggestions. And uh, man, you guys have some great guests coming down the pike. Let me tell you what. So uh, definitely some great stuff to look in store going forward. So folks, it's been an absolute blast. Again, if you enjoyed today's episode, share with family and friends. But with that being said, I think I'm going to leave things there. So 
Signing off until, I don't know, maybe next Wednesday? I don't know. We'll see. Brian Nichols signing off for Angela Cardle. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.